jump into God's Word this morning, but if you would, please, I'd appreciate it if we just join in prayer, and then we'll get started this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, there's just something about the gathering of people together, um, shoulder to shoulder, uh, united in purpose and in praise, and we know that this roughly hour and a half time of, of our week is, is just a portion of, of a seven-day process, but we know this is meaningful, and I am just thank you for this. Thank you for what we get to do here and um, how you use this time to uh, minister to us. We're thankful for that, God. Thank you for our time. We ask now as we move into your word that we would see just how amazing this book is that you've written, and you've written it for us. You've written us that we might be drawn closer to you, and that's my prayer this morning, Jesus, that the, everybody in this room, myself included, might hear the words that you wrote uh, and be drawn more to who you are, that we would see your amazing love, that we would uh, pursue you even more so in our lives. So give me clarity, Father, allow your spirit to speak through me. It's in your son's name. Amen. So here's what I want you to consider for a moment. Um, just in your head, I, I want you to consider the power of one in life. The, the word one, how, how powerful one thing can be. And, and here's what I'm talking about. The power of one thing, the power of one idea, or the power of one event in life. How one single thing can have massive effects on our world and on our lives, okay? How many of you ever heard of this, this it's a, technically a theory called the butterfly effect? Just by a show of hands. How many of you have ever heard the phrase butterfly effect? Okay, there's actually a movie about this. Uh, the butterfly effect is a pretty neat idea, but basically what it says is that um, one small change can ultimately lead to and cause a major event. So the reason it's called the butterfly effect is that in this theory, it argues that a single flap of a butterfly's wing can cause a series of events that can eventually cause a major storm. And now, this kind of seems a little crazy, but the idea is that one single thing does, there's always a, a reaction, right? We know this. For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. I hope I got that right. It's been a long time since physics class, okay? Um, but th that idea, right, that one thing can cause... Even something big. So the simple act of a butterfly flapping his wings changes this thing, and then this thing changes this thing, and then so on and so on until you have even something like a tornado or a storm happen. The idea of one thing makes a big difference in our life. Uh, whether or not that something like that is true, we can certainly, I think, agree that one thing can make a really big difference in our own lives, Right? How many of you can recall a single comment that either you've made or someone has made to you? Yeah, I can. I can remember comments, and sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative, but regardless, I can remember one thing sometimes that I've either made or heard. I know all of us can relate to this. How about one decision in life that we made that was either good or bad? Ooh, how about this one? One thing that we wish we could take back or redo. Man, the power of one. These single events, these single moments that we will never forget and still impact us today. When I was a kid, there was this movie called City Slickers. Okay? 
I know. Okay, good. I, I was curious how many people would remember this movie. It's a little dated uh, for me. It, was, it came out when I was pretty little. Um, but this is actually one of my favorite movies, believe it or not. And if you don't know what the movie City Slickers is, it's about this guy who's about to turn 40. He's kind of going through this midlife crisis style thing. And so what he decides to do is him and his buddies decide to, for his 40th birthday, go on a cattle drive. And it's this whole little setup thing where they go and they give you the full experience of getting to know what it's like to do a cattle drive like they used to do back in the early, early days and all that. And so it's a really funny movie, but it's also a great story of adventure and friendship um, and, and really that idea that you see a lot of, of self-awareness movies coming to understand one's identity. So it's a really, really good movie. But in it, there is this character named Curly. And Curly is the old cowboy. He's the kind of the head person of the cattle drive. And Curly is kind of portrayed as this burly man's man, just kind of man of few words, but a man of a lot of wisdom. And so Billy Crystal's character, as he's talking with him and he's explaining the events in his life and where he's at and the struggles and all this, there's a, there's a point where you know, Curly looks at me and he says, you know, you know what the secret to life is? He says, no. He says, well, the secret to life is one thing, just one thing. You stick to that, and nothing else matters. And it's different to everyone. And so Billy Crystal's character says, okay, well, that's great, but what is the one thing? What is the secret to life? And he says, that's for you to find out. Well, I've always remembered that, even as a kid, because I remember as a kid thinking, okay, so what is my one thing? What is it that, what is my secret to life? And what I've come to realize now is that, in fact, Curly's wisdom is not fully wrong except for one thing. It's not different for everybody. It's the exact same thing, and it's not a thing, it's a person. And, and it's something that we can all experience, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about this one thing. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to the book of 1 Corinthians we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, this, is, this is one of uh, Paul's more famous sections. I really like this, this set of five verses here. It's a great reminder for us this morning, and I hope as you read this and hear this that it will help put things in perspective for you. And I, I think it's a very fitting verse for what we are to be as, this, as a church, as a campus, talking about what is the one thing that we focus on. So... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, says this, the Apostle Paul writing, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever or persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. There is a rule in communication. If any of you ever took communication class, or maybe you just heard this in passing, right? You know what the number one rule of communication is? Know your audience. 
That's the one single greatest thing they teach in communication. And it doesn't matter if you're talking to a large group, such as this, or even bigger, or even a smaller group of people. When we're talking about communication, the single greatest rule to ever remember is know your audience. Know their culture, where they're coming from, their, their norms, their values. Everything that you can learn about a group of people will help you in your communication. It helps you connect with them. They feel more connected with you. And they're more likely to receive the message which you're giving out. Know your audience. And nobody would know this better, nobody would know this rule better than Paul himself. This rule, whether it was stated 2,000 years ago, I assure you was still true then. That know your audience. And Paul would have known this. The Apostle Paul, those of us who know, Apostle Paul was a very educated man. He was very talented. He was very gifted. He was a man who gave speeches and talked with people constantly. That was his life. That was his reputation. He traveled all around the world. He went to multiple cities. We, as a church, we just got done going through the book of Acts, and and pretty much the whole book of Acts is is centered around the idea of people going on mission to places to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And about halfway through is when we see the Apostle Paul join the story and how God uses him. And Paul goes on three different missionary journeys to all these different cities. He has all these conversations. And so Paul would have known this very idea of know your audience. But it's interesting. His, his message, the, the person of Jesus always was at the center, but he often would change his approach every time he would go into places. He, this is even more proof that he adjusted to his audience. Eventually, one of these places was a place called Corinth. It was a major Greek city. It was one of the most prominent, highly important places. In fact, some people would argue that Corinth was actually even more uh, prominent than Athens even because of its, its closeness to the sea and all this. It was a very, very important city. And like, like all major cities, it was a place where wisdom and philosophy were valued and in fact, I would say that the Greeks looked at things like philosophy and wisdom and all that. They valued it above all other things. The Greeks are still famous for their work today. We, we, we read a lot of their works even in classes today. And so it would seem reasonable, right, that Paul, a man who knows to know your audience, would come to a place like Corinth and say, okay, how am I going to reach this highly educated, this this?" culture, this crowd that values things like wisdom, knowledge, understanding, philosophy, how am I going to craft a message that fits that? You would think that's where he would go, right? But look at what we just read. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Here's what Paul does. He takes that whole idea of know your audience, come prepare, and he goes, throw it out the window. He tosses all of that aside. I'm sure it would have been a shock to the crowd because he had something else better in mind. He knew there was a better way to talk about the person of Jesus and continue spreading the gospel. Okay, look again at verse 2. It says, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget don't miss this. I would forget everything except Jesus. The one thing. 
Notice here. He says, I, everything I knew, everything I knew about communication, everything I knew that would connect with this culture, Paul says, I threw that all out the window. I pretended like I didn't even know it, and I focused on one thing, Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Okay, continue on. He says, um, I came to you in weakness. I was timid. I was trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever, persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul comes to Corinth prepared to speak, but he throws out this playbook. He sets aside all cultural norms. He sets aside all expectations. He pushes aside all human wisdom, and he says, we're just going to talk about one thing today, and that's Jesus who was crucified. He could have spoken on a thousand different topics and in a thousand different ways, but he chooses, no, we're just going to talk about Jesus. He could have written out beautiful and eloquent speeches filled with wisdom, all things that this culture, this city would have valued, but Paul had something else. He chose not to use lofty words. He came with an attitude of meekness. His speech was plain and simple, and the reason, as he, as he so well put it, he said, I didn't want people to miss the one important thing. I didn't want people to forget the gospel and the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants them to see, and this is something I want all of us to understand this morning, myself included. He wants people to see that the, the Christian life, the idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus that is still true today, it is solely centered on the person of Jesus. That's it. It is solely centered around his sinless life, his death upon the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, and his resurrection. That's it. That is the foundation of our faith. And Paul said, that's why we're going to talk about it. That's it. He reminds the Corinthians of this, okay? He, he would go on, and Paul talks more in the book about what it means to follow Jesus. But he wants it to, to stay so simple that people can remember this. Here's what's great, okay? You can lose all knowledge and wisdom in life, but if we hold on to the gospel message, we are equipped with the single most powerful and important truth there is. There is nothing that matters more than this. It is what God has called us to live out daily in our lives and in our interactions with others. All things come back to this truth. All things come back to the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and he rose again. I love what Paul says here as he continues on. He says, you know, I, I, I didn't do all this. I, rather, I just asked that the Holy Spirit would speak through me. But he says, I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. See, Paul knew very well it was not his job to go and make people believe in Jesus. He knew he couldn't do that just as much as I can't do that or you can't do that. He knew that that was not his objective. His objective was to go to these places and simply present the gospel that God has laid on his heart. And, and he goes here to Corinth and he said, that's what I'm here to do. And he says, and then I'm going to trust God to do whatever he chooses to do with that. He would trust God that God would reach the people's heart, that they would be drawn to him. This is God's great desire. God's desire is that we would come to know him in a personal way. And remember that the only way that we can come to know God in a personal way is through the forgiveness of sin that separated us in the first place. And the only way that is done 
is through the death of Jesus on the cross. And when we put all of that together, that's the one thing. That's the gospel. And what's even more amazing is that you can accept the forgiveness of the gospel and the person of Jesus into your life simply by trusting in that. The whole idea of the gospel, it's, it's kind of crazy to me. It doesn't make sense. Because it's so amazing, it's so beautiful, and it's so loving that nothing else that we've ever done can ever match it. No wonder Paul says, I want to focus on this one thing. See, the, the one thing, as we're referencing back to Curly's example, the one thing in life is not a secret. It's not different for every person. It's not even a thing. It's not even complicated. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. For all the things that we value in life, all the things that we prioritize, none match up to the person of Jesus. None are more impactful, none are more important than who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I love one of my all-time favorite verses, and I'm sure some in this room will hold this with me as well. Um, I love what Paul says in Philippians 3 as he's talking about all the things that he has going in his life, all the things about his reputation that speak to how great he is. He says, I once thought that all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. From his own words, Paul says, Nothing else matters. It is one thing in life, and it is the person of Jesus. And I love that this verse has always had a special place in my heart. Um, When when I first began to understand the gospel and put it into my own life, this was the verse that kind of helped set my path to say, the Christian life is about pursuing the person of Jesus, the relationship. It's not about, do I have all my life together at once? It's not about, am I being perfect? It's, am I following the one true Jesus? And knowing what it means to love him and walk with him every single day. And if we're not careful, we as a church and as individuals, we can veer away from this simple truth. It's very easy for us to overcomplicate the gospel and to create additions to it, to modify it. All things that detract others from seeing what the gospel truly is. One of the things I love in the New Testament, Jesus calls this out all the time. If you, if you ever read through the gospels, almost every time that Jesus is talking with the, quote, religious leaders, what is he doing? He's addressing their hypocrisy and the fact that they have added to God's word. They have, he, he calls them out to say, you're missing it. Church, we can't miss it today either. That when we talk about why we're here today, why you're sitting in these chairs, why this campus has been planted here, it's because of one thing. That's the person of Jesus. And it is our desire that people would come to know the person of Jesus. It's not come to know the Jesus and we need you to do all these other things. We need you to act a certain way. We need you to have your life together. You're you're never allowed to mess up. Malarkey. I actually don't know what that word means, but I like saying it. It sounds fitting. It's rubbish. We, 
we want people to pursue Jesus. It's, it is my desire that when people come to know Jesus, that their hearts would be changed, that, that, that they would be pursuing what it means to live holy lives that honor him, but let's not mistake that for what the gospel truly is, that when, we, when we're talking about what it means to love and follow Jesus, that's the one thing, is placing our faith in him and allowing the Spirit to work in us. We, we get those things mixed up a lot. We, we often tell people, no, you've got to have it all together first, and then we'll tell you about Jesus. No, that's not true at all. Jesus says, preach who I am. Tell them what I've done for the cross. Let me do the work in people's lives. Whether it's intentional or not, we can, we can sometimes create this expectation. We can create these uh, Christian-style clubs and gatherings that, that in fact hinder people from seeing what the gospel is. We set expectations that aren't biblical. But let's be clear. Anything other than, contrary to, or added to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is not the gospel. There are people in this world who know the Bible far better than I ever will, but don't know the person of Jesus. There are people in this world who, who seek to live a life absent of any wrongdoing, but don't know what it means to love Jesus personally. The person of Jesus is what makes our faith so unique, so amazing, and it's what separates us from all other religions, philosophies, and ideas. And that's why, as we say over and over again, my hope, my great desire, is that we as a church would value this above all things, that we would be dedicated to preaching the gospel and living it out in our lives, that people would know what it means to have a personal and loving relationship with him. We, we've said our kind of vision is that this place would become a local church that people love to come to and experience Jesus. This is what matters most. Do you know Jesus? If you do, are you trusting in him daily? Are you pursuing him in all things in life? And I promise you today this one thing is far more important than anything else that we pursue. The good news of Jesus is so rich and so deep that it filters into air in every area of our life. There is nothing that we can go through, there is nothing that we can experience that cannot be affected by the power of the gospel. Okay? When we start to compare the, the things that happen in our life, the challenges and we compare those to the truth of the gospel, this one thing, here's what we realize, okay? If you're here today and you're struggling with anxiety and fear, remember the gospel. If you're here today and you're struggling with some type of relationship, remember the gospel. If you're in the midst of a major life decision, remember the gospel. If you're in the midst of a difficult trial, in life, or temptation that you cannot shake, remember that there is a God who loves you beyond belief and is given every opportunity for you to enter into a relationship with him. Remember the power of Jesus that goes beyond all comprehension. And if you remember one thing today, I hope it's this, and that you reflect on it, that Jesus' death over, it, that when Jesus is on the cross, his victory over death 
is our single greatest reminder that he is capable of all things. Think about this for a sec, okay? What is the greatest enemy to life itself? Death. The single greatest thing that poses any danger to life itself is death. And guess what Jesus said? I've defeated it. Do you understand that by being on the cross, by dying on the cross for our sins, by rising on the third day, Jesus throws death out the window and says, you have no more power on me. And that when we trust in that, guess what? Death has no power over us. Now, I understand we have these these bodies that will eventually die, but the beauty of the gospel is that it's an eternal relationship. And, And though we face the sadness of death and life, as we all in this room I know have, that when we know Jesus, death is no more. It's gone. Because Jesus has defeated it. So, yes, life may be difficult at times, but Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, you may feel lost and powerless at times, but Jesus rose from the dead. That's my encouragement for you this morning. That's what I hope you think about this week. Let's pray, and then um, we're going to move into a time of communion, and I'm going to invite our band to come up. Jesus, when we, when we start to think about what is most important, what is the one thing that if we boil it all down to in life, what does it come to? Jesus, it's you. You are the eternal, amazing God. You, are, you have been here forever. You designed all things. You designed us. You designed this world. Everything comes through you. And so, so does our salvation, Jesus. We, we thank you that um, you were willing to go to a cross for our sins. And you did that, that we might enter into a relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that this week, may we take the opportunity to reflect on the one thing. God, I, I know that there are many struggles in this room. I know that there are many things happening in people's lives um, that maybe they don't understand or just, just having fear, anxiety, whatever it may be, God. Uh, and I know the power of that. I know how real that is. And, it, and in all honesty, God, it's, it's sometimes hard to say this, but I know it's true that despite all that, you are God. That you rose from the dead. You defeated death. You defeated the most powerful force against us that there is. And you, you defeated it. And, and God, knowing that, we, we know that if we trust in you, God, if you're, if you're able to conquer death, what more can you do for us? May we trust in that today. We love you and we thank you. Amen.